This episode has been brought to you by our sponsor, Appadeal, an all-in-one growth platform for mobile app creators of any size. While you have probably heard about Appadeal as a mediation solution, it has already expanded into much more than that. Appadeal unlocks access to a new generation of advanced business intelligence tools, including LTV forecasting, user acquisition and creative automation, and of course, the mediation platform that can work out of the box or be managed manually. Being one of the very few independent platforms left in the market, Appadeal delivers unbiased solutions for mobile app creators to establish and scale their businesses rapidly. Sign up at appadeal.com. Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In this new series, I am focusing on portraits of women who have an outstanding career in games. How did they get into games? How did they reach their high position and career? What have been their personal and career choices to get to their level? And why? I want to bring more light to the wide range of career paths available for women in leadership positions in the industry. And to inspire you to dream big for your life and career too. Let's begin. So today I'm sitting with Salone and super excited to have as my first guest, someone working in financial and venture partner world. So a little more about Salone. Salone Segal is the world's first female general partner of a games and interactive VC fund. She co-founded Lumikai Fund, India's first early stage interactive media and gaming VC anchored by the world's largest games and media conglomerates. She has more than 15 years of experience as a global games and new media investor, games entrepreneur, and former M&A banker. Previously, she was principal at London Venture Partner, Europe's pioneering seed-stage gaming VC, with a track record of backing 40 companies delivering 14 billion in shareholder value. She was also co-founder and CEO at Truly Social, a venture-backed gaming company building immersive social worlds for female audiences, leveraging celebrities, influencers, and brands. So hi, Salone. How are you? Hi, Sophie. Uh, Very nice to meet you. Before we start, I'd like to ask all my guests, what is the most exciting thing you're working on at the moment, whether it's personal or professional? The last 18 months for us has actually been incredibly exciting. We've seen over a thousand deals in the ecosystem, so it's been very busy. We also have a very thesis and data-driven approach of investing, which means we're very calibrated and selective. And we've made eight investments so far. And at this point of time, 50% of those have already raised meaningful capital. And we're also gearing up for fund too. So there's a lot of exciting things which are going on in the fund at the moment. Congratulations for progress already for a few milestones that you mentioned. Let's get into that directly then. I've started getting a little into this world in a broader spectrum. It's still very new for me and I'm not familiar with the terms. But let's get started with more what your role with the fund you created and as a general partner, what you are doing with your company. So the general partner of a fund is essentially the founder of a venture capital fund, right? The general partner is responsible for incubating the fund, seeding it with own capital, then attracting investor commitments in order to deploy that capital into, let's say, return yielding opportunities. Now, a venture capital fund is essentially an illiquid asset. So the return profile 
that the fund needs to have has to beat returns that an investor can achieve via, let's say, you know, freely marketable, freely tradable assets as a result of which a GP's role is that of a fund manager where you essentially identify, you curate, you find and manage a portfolio of assets. And in a venture capital fund, in this case, it is usually very early stage companies with a focus on gaming and interactive with a further regional focus on the India market. And the idea is to generate superior returns by leveraging our own market and domain expertise, which is essentially the edge that most fund managers talk about. And that's largely the role of a GP fund. So you raise capital, you identify assets, you build a team to support that activity, and then you have to manage the fund, you have to construct the portfolio, and at the same time manage portfolio assets to eventually generate returns. So as I understand, there's a part which is fundraising that you are responsible for, and another part which is building the team, the strategy of how you select the companies that you will invest. So could you share more about what makes Lumikai Fund, Lumikai Fund? You know, maybe the philosophy, your values, the focus. So Lumikai, you know, even the word is a genesis and it comes from two separate words. It stands for Lumi, which is the Latin word for light, and Kai, which is the Japanese word for tribe. So as in the word, our philosophy is very much a fusion of a thought process where we aim to shed light on a previously unserved and underserved and untapped market like India. And we aim to create a tribe of ambitious, bold, and forward-thinking founders who are building the gaming and interactive ecosystem from India. And the thesis very much is that we're back companies from India who are building for India, and we back companies who are building from India for the world. And our entire existence is essentially, it's a narrative violation. You know, I believe that the best time to invest in a sector is when it violates a certain narrative. And when we were setting up the fund, we heard a lot of narratives that India as a market can't support a venture-backed strategy. India as a market doesn't play games. India as a market doesn't pay for games. In India, there can be no exits. And this was largely because of the fact that there was a lot of misinformation in the market. It was untapped. It was an underserved sector and there were undercapitalized founders. And all of this in itself, along with the inflection points in the market that we saw, made us believe that now is the time for us to really launch Lumikai in the market because we could shine a light on this new market. It was very attractive in terms of return and yield identification. And the third is that this was an underserved sector, which we felt that we could catalyze given my background and given my co-GP's background in terms of gaming and interactive and our strategic networks. To some extent, over the last two years, following that philosophy, we have made a dent in the market. We've identified certain companies which are now doing incredibly well. And we've seen the kind of growth that we had predicted, let's say about 18 or 24 months back, that has now come to pass. We've seen exits in the ecosystem. We have seen venture dollars flood into the ecosystem, which has given us a sense of validation that when we embarked on that path at that point of time, it was just an hypothesis. Now it's become reality. That's amazing. And back to founding days, what was the process? So you had a long experience yeah, with big venture partner firms like LVP. What was the turning point for you that you said, okay, I will build a fund myself and in India 
And also you mentioned a bit about the opportunities you saw with the market. Could you share as well this space? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, venture capital role is essentially, you know, it's a fund manager role. So and a fund manager's role is essentially to identify an edge which can help generate returns for your LPs. Now, that edge can be market insight. It can be sector knowledge. It can be geographic expertise. It can be unparalleled global networks. Whatever it is, it needs to help you identify companies which can help achieve outlier success and make an impact. Now, at Lumica, I was very clear that if I had to launch a venture capital fund, it only makes sense if you have that clearly identifiable edge. And for us, it was making the best of both worlds work. So we, I understand and I'd seen the best of global best practices in terms of what was happening in Europe and North America. I developed and had a very vast strategic and global network. And I really understood the contours and nuances of investing in the India market, which made it very clear that our ability to see the world was very different from other people. And hence, that became our edge. Now, while that was, I guess, the commercial rationale to launch a sector-focused regional, there were also inflection points that were taking place in the India market. You know, India is currently a market of 460 million gamers. It is a market which is, you know, now $2.2 billion, out of which 30% of that market is in-app purchases. You know, previously, the market was supposed to be ad-driven or real money gaming-driven. That that has changed. That is changing now. You have a hundred million paying users, which are expected to increase to nearly two hundred and forty million users paying users over the next course of the next two three years. The industry is expected to hit about seven billion dollars in the next two three years. So there is a lot of depth and breadth in the ecosystem, which was previously unthought of. You know, in the last two years, we've now seen about two point two billion dollars flow into India, just the gaming sector. We've seen three exits. We've seen three unicorns, and we have seen multiple strategics come and acquire companies in India, whether it's the MTG Group acquiring PlaySimple or Stillfront acquiring Moonfrog. We're seeing examples of Indian companies breaking out and providing those venture-scale returns. So, you know, that became the commercial aspect of launching the fund. But I think more importantly, there was always a very personal desire to launch a fund and that was that came from a very personal mission and the mission was to change the gender skew in this industry because you know I had been a female founder and I had also been an investor I've been on the investment banking side I've been on the private equity side and all my years in all these aspects I never saw anybody like me sitting on the other side of the desk or sitting in the room even and that made me I guess you know, very clear that if there is a path for bringing all my knowledge that I've amassed for all these years and condensing it into a venture role, and that can be achieved via a fund like Lumikai. So it was a, I guess, a culmination of commercial goals, culmination of an economic rationale alongside a personal mission, which which then led to the mission of Lumikai. Uh, let's take a moment to reflect on the, the last part uh, you shared. I think it's also very important. It's an observation I have made. It's very rare that I see a female founded fund. And with this philosophy, this personal mission of yours, how do you then build your team at Lumikai and how have you managed to serve this personal mission of yours? Well, it's 
very thoughtfully. You know, we've gone about building a team and a culture very thoughtfully, and it's not been easy. We are a 40% female team, and up until last year, 50% of our interns were women. And we're very actively focused on bringing women into venture. And as a fund, we are geared to support female leadership, whether it's in the form of inclusive insurance, whether it's in the form of flexible working, whether it's in the form of maternity cover, whether it's in the form of maternity benefits in the form of nanny care allowance, which would enable women to come back to work. We've thought of all of this and crafted this in a way which encourages more women to be part of the team. Now, we've had our VP finance who's, who's come back from maternity leave and and she has family support, etc., but we're still covering maternity care. And at the same time, you know, even at the portfolio level, we have crafted what we call as gender smart policies, where we often track attrition and number of women employed in our portfolio. And we regularly discuss the need to have more women in teams, right? So it becomes part of a conversation. It's not something that we're cracking a whip on, but it's something Mm -hmm. that's part of natural conversation, which comes up as part of discussing about culture or part of discussing about team motivation on inherently how to navigate teams is also to see attrition of teams and seeing how many women companies have and how many women are leaving those companies because that becomes often a barometer of the health of a business. We've done other initiatives which have also been to launch something that at Lumikai we call Lumikai Pathbreakers, which is an initiative to encourage more women in the games and the broader ecosystem. Now, it's very commonly known that if you can't see it, you can't be it. So how do we expect there to be more women in the industry if we don't showcase role models, if we don't showcase women leaders, if we don't showcase executives and founders who look like us. That's a mission that as a fund we embarked on. And till date, we've launched three editions covering 60 plus women in the Indian ecosystem who are paving the path less traveled. And we have heard their stories. We've heard their challenges. We've showcased their triumphs. You know, while these may seem very small initiatives, you're starting from scratch, literally, all these little things count, especially having been on the other side and having been funds where there wasn't these kind of policies or thoughtfulness in terms of diversity and inclusion. I feel this is only a step in the direction that we need to take of doing much more work. That's amazing, all the examples you mentioned. And I think this is a very big inspiration of practices that... Would other companies want to make a step forward to support more inclusivity and a yeah, different situation for especially women in executive position? I'll make sure to link at the end of this episode exactly this initiative showcasing success of women in India for also our listeners. And further into that, it's really interesting because you've been on the side, like you said, different roles, founder side, investor side, and now also you have more control being at the head of your own fund. What are the more systemic challenges you see, for example, on the investing side? Why we don't see so many women actually in the ecosystem? I did a very detailed blog post on this a while back on both why there are such few female founders and also as a corollary why there are few female investors. Too often, the path for moving into venture is largely determined by networks, right? And it is documented that women tend to have weaker networks than men, especially as you grow into your career, especially as you become a mid-level executive. If you have family-rearing responsibilities, typically you become the primary caregiver as a result of which, while 
men are using those opportunities to go out and network and build friends and they're almost at the peak of their careers that's the period of time in which women are actually tapering off they're either taking a step back because they've got more responsibilities towards their homes or they're just unable to manage that balance either they don't have family support or they're the primary caregivers you know they need to kind of take their foot off the accelerator in their careers and hence they don't progress as much right now this impacts them in their ability to start up and to build networks into finding and becoming founders because often men in their mid 30s are founding businesses with their colleagues but as a woman if you have weaker networks you don't have anybody to co-found a business with also if you're not out there networking your ability to let's say be part of venture funds which are very heavily network driven also then become limited or if you decided to have a child or so you've kind of eased back career responsibilities and that kind of also caps your professional growth and as a result of which you don't see a lot of women in venture also it's incredibly hard when we were looking for maternity cover for a senior leader in the fund you know it was impossible to find that because there is no concept of that especially in a market like india right we had to literally create that role from scratch and it was successful to some extent unsuccessful to some extent in terms of the coverage that we got and it was a heavy cost to the fund but i can imagine that if you're not motivated to do something like that it is a deterrent for having a lot of women in the fund i think there are a number of systemic issues which prevent women from being part of senior leadership because far too often you'll see a lot of women at the analyst associate roles but somehow when it comes to the partnership level roles those roles kind of taper off or they're largely male there is a study that you know one woman is a token two is a presence and three is a voice this is largely what is missing in the venture world now until it becomes a priority i don't think things will change but that being said you know just today i read that blackrock has announced a 800 million dollar impact fund that they're putting to work to focus on diversity and equity themes now that's great impetus once that comes in and once you see fund of funds or lps starting to ask questions okay why are there more senior women in your team why aren't you doing more for gender diversity why aren't you doing more for inclusivity i think then we will start seeing systemic change because then there's pressure and that that pressure needs to rightfully be created from everywhere around the ecosystem where founders ask for more female investors and i'm currently on a deal where i am collaborating with three other women investors in funds and the company that is raising capital and its meaningful series a is a business that has a 50% female audience and it's a male founding team but that's incredible that very rarely happens in our world that's amazing to hear i've got i would say since a year into investment and also being part of a smaller fund called wings supporting also mobile developers with a priority on female founders or marginalized communities and it makes it less intimidating to see more women so i think we hear you mention the importance of role model where i could be this person few years from now or even today and maybe the way we talk about it and explain it seems also more approachable i think there's something to it because the financial world if you have not so much proficiency there is very intimidating and maybe more natural for men to talk about but i found myself really overwhelmed Luckily, so it was not from a woman, but it was thanks to Joachim Akhen, mm-hmm. made it more approachable, accessible, like very inclusive. Mm-hmm. I could see, okay, this is a safe place to be. And I think it's really important as well to make it accessible, showing the path like you also show 
how it's possible to create a fund based on your experience, but also you can really make a change as well in your position where you decide what type of company and where are your priorities in terms of culture and support for employees. Absolutely. And I think that's such a great point on accessibility, right? And inclusivity. And this is my current contention with, let's say, the world of Web3. We talk about crypto and we talk about inclusivity and we talk about that being the future, but the barriers to entry are so high in terms of structural barriers to entry, literacy barriers, in terms of just technical jargon, technical capability. Mm. You know, the beauty of mobile gaming and free-to-play gaming was that it transcended barriers, that in one swift stroke, it essentially upended the walled gardens of PCs and consoles and made gaming accessible, just experiences, interactive experiences accessible to just this wider swath of audiences who previously never identified as gamers. And now when I look at the world of Web3 and blockchain gaming, I see those walls coming up all over again in terms of the language that is being used, in terms of the technological barriers, in terms of the structural barriers that are now being erected, and in terms of very large corporates deciding to build oligopolies within this space. So I just do question when we are talking about the future, is that really the future that we want to work towards? Because it isn't accessible. It isn't inclusive, at least in its current form. Yeah, I totally agree. And I have seen also a few women like debunking, deconstructing as well. For example, in the podcast you have, it's like we would naturally try to simplify it in a vocabulary that makes sense for us and so for the listeners, right? Because for me, it's very, very technical, as you say. And it was the same as well, like for investment, finance. So it helps to make it more accessible and understandable. And I have a follow-up question that is also quite a hard one, but I think important in our discussion when we talk about the challenges we have to see more women in executive roles and also in certain sector. Like I look at us as a women of color and we have been a minority in some groups. And I wanted to hear also your experience if it added another layer of challenge and if you would be open to also talk about your reality. Sure. You know, half my career was in India and that's where I started my career. But the other half was in the global markets where I spent a considerable amount of time in Europe where I lived in London and I worked in Switzerland and Spain and Denmark. And I came from already a male-dominated environment, which was investment banking and private equity. And when I came into gaming, I was very much the proverbial outsider. You know, I'd grown up playing games, but I'd never seen anyone like me in a gaming world. And I always used to joke that if I wanted to see a brown female protagonist in a game, I'd probably have to build it myself. And then later on, I realized that I'd probably have to finance it myself as well, <laughs> because most people didn't understand the premise of what I was building. And navigating the industry as an outsider was very challenging. There were enough racist and sexist encounters at multiple occasions, which made me question my own life choices. Capital raising as a woman, building for women was also immensely difficult. As I often heard things like, oh, I didn't expect to see a woman here or oh, a woman pitching a gaming business. So that's interesting. Or when I would be talking to venture investors, you know, they'd kind of look and say, well, oh, we don't understand this, but let me take this back to my wife, girlfriend, mother, who's going to test out this product and come back to you with, from a sample size. And I'll come back to you with my assessment after a sample size of one. You know, which all used to perplex me because I always wondered that if I was building, let's say, a fintech company or an edtech company and you didn't understand it as a VC investor, wouldn't you go and say, okay, let me go back and build my thesis and come back with 
questions that I would like to inquire. How is it all right for investors to walk away saying, I don't understand it, but I'm going to ask my wife, stroke mother, stroke girlfriend as a sample size of one to validate your business idea hmm. without applying any mind to what that idea is. I experienced it, especially when I was pitching a business which was looking at female audiences and, you know, 50% of female audiences play games, but less than 20% of games actually cater to them. And that was the genesis of the idea. How do you build this deep, immersive social world where you can create relationships using AI characters with narrative? And how do you generate empathy and compassion? And how do you build this very strong social world, which has elements not only of popular game mechanics, but how does it become deeper and explore relationships, particularly in a virtual world? I found that it was an incredibly challenging endeavor to try and sell that and position that to VC investors. And of course, that's six, seven years back and the ecosystem has changed. There are now multiple games investors and specialized investors, which didn't exist at that point of time. There is a lot more awareness about the power of this audience, which was also not there previously. Mm -hmm. There are a lot more female founders paving the way, whether it's Drusilla at Papukaya or whether it's Jill Yang at Robin Games or Double Loop Games or Super Bloom and Trail Mix. There are now a lot of pioneering female founders who are really pushing the boundaries of what female-oriented or more inclusive entertainment looks like, which I guess at that point of time, I didn't have the advantage of. But it was incredibly challenging to build a company, being a minority and also being a woman. Thanks for sharing. It's so important to talk about it first by listening that it creates first awareness, right? That's the most important. And then, you know, everyone can take away what to conclude from this. And, you know, in the future, when we have other situations or discussions, to keep this in the back of the mind as an awareness, because the reality is very different based on where we were born or where we come from. And it's very important to be aware about this. And in the whole fundraising process, you mentioned like indeed the challenges of another time, but also it's a big part of your role now for Lumikai Fund. How is your experience? How easy or difficult, challenging is it for you to raise funds for your fund? Are you looking into India or like global markets? What's your approach there? I've been very fortunate to have a co-GP who's incredible. And, you know, we share a very similar vision, a very similar value system and a very similar philosophy about the kind of fund that we want to build, the kind of investors we want to partner with, and the kind of investments we want to make. And there's a lot of alignment in the direction in which we want to take Lumikai, and which I think is incredibly important. In fact, diversity, inclusion is a mission that Justin, my co-GP, also holds very dear to his heart. And of course, we timed our fundraising in the middle of the pandemic, and it wasn't an easy ride because we were raising money as a first-time fund. I'd been in venture before, and we still had a very large network of LPs and investors that we could tap into. But it was definitely not easy because we were trying to build these relationships over a platform like Zoom. And we were encouraging them to put their money to work in a market which was previously untapped and unknown. So there were a lot of Hoops, I guess, we jumped through, but we're incredibly grateful to the caliber of LPs and all the names, in fact, that backed us. You know, 80% of our capital is institutional. Mm -hmm. That is incredibly rare for a first-time fund. First-time funds are typically largely networks as well as high net worth individuals. In our case, we have about five individuals in the fund. The balance are all institutions. 
all these institutions are institutions who've known us, known our work, and who we have spent a lot of time demonstrating our market knowledge, our domain expertise, our sector insights too. And we were able to give them the comfort that we were navigating this market with a certain degree of skill and a certain degree of experience that was previously unavailable. I think that has really helped us in good stead. Our investors have been instrumental in getting us to the position that we're in right now in terms of supporting us, supporting our portfolio companies. It's been hard earned and hard fought, but it's been an incredible journey and something that we're very grateful for. Amazing. Congratulations for this. And back to your point earlier about the importance of network. I think you have a strong track record, of course, with your partner, but that's also save some steps when you have to raise and it would be probably a different situation if you start out of nowhere with no past experience or track record. Absolutely. Much harder. Let's take here a step back more on your career because I'm curious of not only gains, but first of all, like how did you shape your career around finance? What was your influence? Why did you choose this path? My parents were first-time entrepreneurs themselves and they were both stock analysts and my mother actually was India's first technical stock analyst. She's written a book and she was awarded by the first lady of the country. And my father has taken two companies public. He's been investing for 40 years now in the public markets and he's seen through multiple bear cycles and bull cycles. Growing up, that was very much part of the discussion and the DNA of home. So I think now looking back was almost like a logical extension. Amazing. And again, back to another point you mentioned, role models. Now that you share this, it makes a lot of sense. And you were bathed since very young age into this world, right? Exposed to it and making it more accessible, familiar, maybe less threatening from early age and just going for it, not being intimidated or stopped by hurdles like, oh, why am I the only woman going for this path or a woman of color later in career? Like you were really well supported as well. Absolutely. And also my parents were very progressive. You know, they invested in my education very, very early and there was never any path laid out for me. My life was a blank canvas where my parents were always very clear that, you know, I could be whoever I wanted to be. And there were obviously guardrails and safeguards provided to me that they told me that if you fail or if you don't do well, we'll always be there to support you, which I think is an incredible privilege, especially when you come from patriarchal societies like India, where often women are made to choose between marriage and education or marriage and employment. And that's still very much a choice some women have to make. But I'm very glad to have had very progressive parents who support me in that. That's a very important point also for here for inclusivity and culture because I'm assuming here, let's say for other women in India to grow their career in executive roles and probably other countries where it's either or, right? So you get married, you choose a path. I think it's important to reflect on the fact that you have a very good support and this environment that allowed you to be independent and develop things for yourself. I'm not so familiar with the Indian culture and even society today. Do you still see that as a challenge or a barrier for women? It is a male-dominated culture. It is a patriarchal culture. Women have had to fight for rights, whether it's you know the right to vote, whether it's right to inherit property, the right to own property. We are definitely, as a culture, where we see very low female labor force participation. Then it comes down to, you know, are you seeing other women in roles 
that you think you could essay in your life and what that means for representation in let's say female executives or female entrepreneurship or women in stem roles and eventually then going and taking on challenges like becoming designers developers so there are definitely roadblocks there but i'd say things are changing we see a incredible amount of representation of women now in the world of traditional finance in banking we have obviously had a female prime minister in the country we have strong women who are members of parliament we see female leadership in the corporate world more and more women in venture as society progresses as representation of women changes this all of it has to change but are we at a point where we say we've achieved equality or are we at a point where society is egalitarian definitely not and is it scandinavia where men are taking on equal child rearing responsibilities i don't think so I have lived not Scandinavia and Nordic countries, but as well where this is very at the heart of society where kind of a norm, you know, for a father to take as much parental leave as the mother. You founded your own social gaming company. So my question is, how did you get into games and what led you to also create a company? Yeah, so I was pulled into the opportunity. I had been in investment banking and private equity and I'd left that world and I was soul searching. and from that exercise my co-founder at that point of time was a colleague of mine from business school who approached me to set up a gaming studio and i came into it a bit hesitantly if i'm into something it's 100% and i was in it for the full ride soon after and the genesis for it was to solve a problem it was very mission driven right and whether it was a team x king x frame store folks came together from a bunch of gaming studios we did a bunch of interesting partnerships we did an avatar based messenger games integration we did plenty of tie ups with celebrities and brands and influencers i also became a jury member at the bafta games awards and the journey had its ups and downs but it was an experience that i think i came out challenged incredibly creatively and professionally and it really transformed me very deep in a personal and a professional level because growing as a leader as a first time entrepreneur you are confronted with so many challenges that you're never confronted with in just say just a regular job right you have to manage teams you have to think about culture deeply you have to think about how to inspire people you have to think about how to raise capital how to inspire investors how do you sell your vision how do you constantly be pitching your business and drink your own kool-aid but at the same time be realistic and knowing when to draw the line between what you do and who you are is also incredibly important as a first time founder i feel second time founders approach their businesses with a certain level of detachment which first time founders don't and they over index on passion and conviction and complete immersion into what they're building and there was a lot of learning and that learning curve there were good times and there were incredibly bad times but right now i can look back and say that the person that i am today was deeply shaped by the person that was built in those years i can totally imagine and if i may ask what has been the main really like life learning for you from this so we had an acquisition of an offer that went south last minute and we couldn't pivot in time and had to close the company down mm. and this is after i'd seen successful companies as an advisor as an investor as a banker as a private equity specialist and i'd seen companies from seed to exit but that felt like failure that felt very deeply personal but i realized over the years that a failure teaches you things that success never can 
it's easy to conflate luck as success and it's a very rare person who dissects their life after success but failure you can't help but go deep inside right it is at that point of time you start asking yourself very deep questions about who are you who is the support system that you have around you as an entrepreneur it is so difficult to detach from the identity of the ceo ceo founder of the business it completely immerses you but you learn to ask yourself the tough questions that if that business that i built was my purpose and that business failed have i failed as a person as well so those are questions that you start asking yourself so there was a long period of deep reflection a long period of introspection of grief and healing that i had to undergo as a person and as a professional and i think that has helped me be a more empathetic investor been more mindful about the kind of organizations that i want to build the kind of cultures that i want to build kind of values that i want to promote not just in myself and the fund and but also in the companies that we back and often integrity self reflection introspection are values that we as a fund value very highly It's very important what you mentioned because those learnings it's really hard to build them or develop them when you haven't been through the tough ride of entrepreneurship building something yourself with all this passion and then as well I have also built my company previously and also closed it so I can relate a lot to what you're sharing and then all those questions shame guilt sense of failure when you have no other choice but look at yourself in the mirror and grow back to you as an investor what did it teach you because i think here this makes a big difference when you are investing and you have had the experience of a founder creating this empathy that you didn't have before it's also you know important to realize that success and failure are two sides of the same coin you cannot be successful without having experienced failure it's just not possible to be on that journey of having achieved success without having a sign of failure and you know as an investor when you go through that journey you know what it's like to make your first hire you know what it's like intrinsically to fire somebody you know what it's like when you get your first seed check you know what it's like you know when a product that you built needs to be shut down you deeply understand what a founder can go through in those businesses right also you tend not to overreact to things there are things that will happen in a founder's journey the peaks and troughs that comes in building a company right and that's all right you understand as a founder because you've done this before that you know of course this happens in a journey it's not going to be smooth every entrepreneurial journey goes through peaks and troughs even the most successful companies have gotten through bad times and the people who stuck by them during those bad times understand that everything shall pass and the founder if they're resilient if they're persistent if they're tenacious they will make it through that but they need a steering hand which tells them it's all right these things happen you know you've got to get up find your grit and move on and those become easier to imbibe as an investor is that you become a little bit detached you understand that these happen in a journey you become more practical towards not constantly putting your founders through ringers or getting freaked out when things go bad you're in it for the long term so you develop a better sense of empathy where the founder can call you up and say hey, this is not working or things are not going right what do you think i should do and you know you kind of problem solve and you find solutions because you're on the same side and i think that that awareness is something that gets imbibed in you if you've been a former founder amazing uh, that's very inspiring for sure as well you know a path after you've been a founder to also have an impact helping other founders and it makes a lot of sense uh, as you have been doing you've been like through different lives you know when i cover with all the questions that's very inspiring i'd like to ask you as well what is success to you 
For me, it is being able to be detached towards outcomes. You should do work which can lead to a higher purpose. You live a comfortable life with peace of mind and you do the work. Uh, but eventually, I would hope to get to a place where you're detached from the outcomes of it. And that would be success. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, I have never heard that answer before. So it makes it very like you and your answer. Very good. All right. Uh, Oh, thanks a lot, Salone. There was a lot of learning, a lot of uh, wisdom and all compacted in one hour of our discussion today. But I learned also a lot by listening to you and uh, got inspired as well for maybe some initiative that I'll do in the future in the same direction and similar mission that you have. So thanks a lot for your time and your wisdom today. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lovely and authentic conversation. So I love being here. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership, how to hire a team with a vision, or how to lead and build a team for the long-term game. Until the next time, 